Hello, this is Hannah Boyd from your English 308 Section 1 class. For my honors project, I decided it would be interesting to interview people on times they had witnessed racism in their lives, and then do an analysis over the social implications of these incidences. I felt like this was an interesting way to dive deep into the topic of racial storytelling that we discussed in class, since it forces white authors to acknowledge their participation in white supremacy, while also being a space for discussion and healing for people of color. At the beginning of the semester, I set my goal to interview five or more people, but through the course of this class, I had witnessed some events that I felt should not only be included, but be given a good amount of time to discuss. Because of that, I collected only three interviews, which all allowed me to spend a good amount of time on each event without feeling as though I'm jamming too much in. All the people interviewed for this podcast are people I know, something I purposely did. Two of the interviews are of my friends, and the third one is my dad. I wanted the stories to be from someone I personally knew because I find it allows me to feel more connected to the subject at hand and to dive deeper in it in more personal ways. I also think it is interesting and useful to look at events people you are close to have experienced since it gives you a better understanding of them and what they grew up in and around. Let's begin with our first interview. Our first interview begins with my friend, Ashley. Um, This interview was not recorded, but I compiled all the notes um, from the story and put them here. So to give some background to Ashley, she grew up um, in military bases all around the country. She's now 21 years old and out of high school. But um, growing up, she said that she hated living in military bases since, in her opinion, um, it wasn't a very good living environment for children to grow up in, especially since it was a very, very male-dominated atmosphere. But eventually, her and her family um, settled into a house in Lapeer, Michigan, uh, which is a small town northwest of Detroit by about an hour or so. It's probably 15 minutes away from where I grew up, and it's a small rural town. There's a lot of farming, um, there. That's the biggest industry there. For the most part, it's just a small, quiet town. She said that when she first started going to the high school there, though, she noticed right away that the school was not nearly as diverse as the schools she grew up in. Um, Mostly everyone was predominantly white, which is very similar to the school I grew up in, only like 15 minutes away. Um, She said that she also found it very, very like, like jarring that where she grew up, like, it, no one, she grew up all around the country and people never said racial slurs. She grew up in like bigger towns like Seattle and such where I feel like it, you'd be less, you wouldn't hear racial slurs as much or at least I feel like in smaller towns it's more, the environment is more conducive for racism to occur. So in the small school that she was now going to, she was very surprised to hear a lot of racial slurs going on. And for the first time ever, she's kind of introduced to, like, racism, um, hearing racism and racist slurs in her new school. So eventually, she said, after being there for a year or so, um, a new student um, transferred to her school, who was an African-American male. Um, Ashley reported that right away, this student was bullied to a very extreme extent. He was beaten up, bullied every single day. Um, 
called the n-word and it got very intense very quickly and um eventually it led to a physical altercation with another white student who had called him the n-word and tensions rose very very quickly obviously and they started hitting each other and since they were both 18 um I believe it was a white student who tried to press charges against the black student but um it from what I heard and what I actually heard about the fight it was in self-defense but anyway the white student pressed charges so the court systems did get involved with the case um and eventually it was found out that the black um, student had transitioned into a male so I have no idea how this was able to get leaked into the school, but somehow it did. And within like a day, everyone at the high school knew about it and it became a joke very quickly. I have no idea why people thought it was their personal business or why they thought it was funny, but very quickly it became another thing for this poor student to get bullied for. And it was later also revealed that the student had transferred from his old high school because he was getting bullied there for transitioning. So it was just a terrible situation in which this student tried escaping bullying at his own old school and he just transferred to a new school that was arguably even worse. So it was a very bad situation all around. Anyway, this black student um, was getting bullied still after the case was still going on. I think eventually it was dropped because the white student, they were going to find that it was just self-defense and the white student wouldn't have been able to press charges against him. So anyway, they were, um, while the court systems were still working everything out, both of the students still attended the same high school. I think, I think even still had classes together, which I thought was odd that, they didn't think to maybe switch some of the classes of the students just to kind of keep them apart since obviously this black student must have felt very uncomfortable and very unsafe around this white student. Anyway, this black student was still getting bullied a lot by the um, white bully who had attacked him and also just by a lot of people in the high school in general. Apparently everyone thought it was very funny to tag team and all gang up on this poor student and bully him. Anyway, um, since people had found out that he had transitioned, it was going around that it was, a lot of people said, oh, it became like a big thing that like, oh, the black, the white bully who had attacked the black student, that he had punched a girl, which is inaccurate. Like the black student is a male. He has transitioned. He identifies as male. So the white student did not attack a, a female. He had attacked a male. But for some reason, that seemed really funny to a lot of the students there. And um, uh, someone walked up to the white bully and told him or asked him, how do you feel about hitting um, a female? Which, again, is inaccurate. But this school, a lot of people thought it was funny and weren't comprehending what transitioning is and that he no longer is a female but anyway so a student had asked the bully this and the bully replied I don't care if I hit a female as long as I got to hit an n-word I think this is a really interesting um story to kind of dissect 
especially in relation to all the themes that we have discussed in class throughout the semester. Um, I think it's very important, first of all, to address the fact that the school itself did very little to help the situation, which I think is extremely sad and very counterproductive and very against what schools are there to do. Schools are supposed to educate and help students grow and learn. And I feel like in this situation, the school was the complete opposite. They made a very conducive environment for racism and hate, and they sat by and let the student be bullied. From what I heard, the student had reported several times that they were being bullied, and the office, the school, the principal, everyone, all the teachers, no one did anything about it. Essentially, they all just turned their back on a st- on the student, which I think is absolutely crazy that there wasn't at least one person to re- like step up and tell people to stop bullying. There wasn't one person who would stand up for him, which is absolutely so sad and terrible. I think it's important to realize that in educational institutions such as schools um, are very much so, a lot of them, especially as this story shows, they're very much so based on white supremacy. So the white student got away scot-free while a lot of the blame was placed on the victim. Um, Apparently when the court case was going through and everything and they were going to see who would be charged which I don't think anyone was eventually ever charged but anyway during that whole situation a lot of people thought it was funny and they kind of were joking about it and placing the blame on the victim saying he deserved to get charged for assault even though it was an act of self-defense and the school teachers everyone was aware of this it's a small school everyone was aware that this was all going on and no one said anything, did anything. It was completely normal for students to say whatever they wanted and not have to deal with the repercussions of their actions. I think this ties into a lot of with white supremacy because it allows these white students to get away with whatever they want, do whatever they want, and the education system was meant to benefit them and didn't care if there were other students, minority students, that were being targeted because Again, the school wasn't there to benefit them. It was there to benefit the white students. I also think the fact that the school didn't say anything made it even more of a bad situation because not only were they not stopping the bullying, but also I think it was egging the students on because as, like, white people know, we can't say the N-word, but I think them people saying it and seeing that they could get away with it because the school again was doing absolutely nothing on the whole situation they thought it was like exciting and fun like ooh, I can say the n-word and nothing's gonna happen to me people think it's funny like I can make it a joke I can bully this person and nothing's going to happen to me so I think the fact that the school you know took that like did nothing because they literally did nothing the entire time apparently um made the situation a lot worse because the students could see that they were getting away with it. I think the fact that the school also didn't separate the students made it even worse because they were made aware several times about the situation. Um, Obviously, there were police officers brought in and separating the boys when there was an assault on campus, but they still didn't think the problem was severe enough to separate the boys from their classes that they shared together, which 
is kind of ridiculous because it was obviously a very unsafe environment for this black student to be in and he would have felt a lot more comfortable if he was given the option to be in a different class but he was not given the option he was forced to stay in the same class as this person who had attacked him and has been bullying him for months and is still bullying him and I think it's really terrible situation because the black student was just forced to see his attacker basically thriving and winning in this case because he was getting away scot-free while the black student again was getting blamed and people were all saying that he should go to jail for assault and blah 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 and um nothing was ever done by the school I also think it becomes dangerous in that as an educational institution, it's your job to teach your students in a safe environment for minority students. I know we talked about this um, concept where for white students, it's all, I don't remember the exact word that we used, but we should have discussions on race that make people uncomfortable because it's important to educate people and make people more aware of the white supremacy around them. And I feel like if one student, at least like at least one teacher had stuck up, like stuck up for the student and had acknowledged the white supremacy that was going on in this situation and had made it an educational experience, it could have been so impactful. And I don't really, I'm not going to sit here and say that that could have ended the entire situation because it was a lot bigger than just one person. It was a very complex um, and very deep occurrence there are a lot of people involved there's a lot of people bullying but I feel like if there was at least one teacher sticking up for the student they could have at least attempted to make this into a situation in which the student the victim felt as though at least there was someone looking out for him but there was no one no one ever did that um I think as a future educator, this story is something I should really keep in mind because, again, I feel like since schools are very much so based on white supremacy, they're based on white people's success with little regard to the success of minority students. I feel like I have to keep this in mind because in a lot of cases, schools are very inducive um, or conducive for racism and violence towards minority students. It's a bunch of people getting together in which white students are basically not necessarily handled everything but it is white like everything is based off of white white needs with little regard to minority needs so i think that kind of environment tends to foster a lot of hate because white students are seeing that they are being catered to while no other stu- minority students are not so i think that can really makes educational institutions very hateful so I think being aware of that and trying to counteract that as a future educator is very important I think even though I'm going to be a teacher that doesn't necessarily mean I can't try to create new rules in within the school or try to in some way at least make the school less catering to white students, which I think a lot of these themes we learned in this class go directly towards that. I think reading a lot of works by African-American authors, by minority authors, um, 
bringing in discussion of racial storytelling and also like just addressing white supremacy and making everyone aware of this like how prevalent it is in like many many institutions worldwide you know educational institutions religious institutions etc um is very important in creating an environment within a school that this situation wouldn't have happened in um because I think at the end of the day as a future educator it's your responsibility to not even stop these things from happening but create an environment in which this would never happen in the first place because I think the trauma that the student endured because of the situation is no matter what it's always going to be a traumatic experience he's always going to be remembered of the time that no one stood up for him and that his school sat back and let this happen so I think as a future educator you I have to keep in mind that you that early on I want to create an environment in which this would never happen because it's so sad to think about this poor student who had to go through this So my next interview, um, I managed to get a recording for this. We'll see how well the audio is from that. But um, my next interview is from my best friend, Kyle, who um, he grew up in a very, very small town in um, rural um, area in the Thumb. It's very, very small. I think the town itself has less than 500 people. Um, Also, it was a huge, huge farming town. That's the biggest industry. I know I said the pier. The biggest industry was farming in his town. It's ginormous. It's everyone's a farmer there. But anyway, so just to set the scene a little bit, he grew up in a very, very small town. Um, His family also, I believe, grew up around the area of this small town. So just to keep that in mind. So the story he's about to tell is of, I believe, his great uncle he mentioned, um, who is a veteran. So I'm going to stop so I can just play um, his recording. But yep, I just wanted to give some background before I jump right into the recording of him. Was in the Vietnam War. Okay. Okay. interview was from my friend like I said um towards the end of the segment you probably noticed his little awkward laugh um 
I feel like I've totally been in situations too where you're sitting with someone or hanging out with someone and they say something that they just can't say and it makes you so uncomfortable. You just start laughing because you just can't like and like in the awkward chuckle like (laughs) you can't say that. I've for sure been in situations where people say something so like off the wall racist or just wrong that you just it makes you so uncomfortable and also the fact that it was his I believe his great uncle uh like I've been there where your family says something wrong and you just uh and you just like do a little awkward chuckle like (laughs) don't say that so I completely sympathize with him there but I think it um gives us a very good example of how much how awkward it is for white people to talk about issues of racism a lot I think it makes a lot of white people uncomfortable especially like when we're faced with racism I think we as white people tend to just kind of ignore it so when we're faced with it we're like oh that's awkward like you know it's kind of like very jarring and we have to talk about it it becomes a situation in which I feel like a lot of people get uncomfortable but I still think it is like a very very important issue to talk about so I think it's I think it's funny that he laughed because I know that it comes from a place of like being uncomfortable about having to talk about this but I know at the end of the day it's for the best that he does open up and talk about and share these stories but anyway to go into analysis over this story a little bit it's kind of a short story but I thought it was very interesting because a very very big issue with um stereotyping and especially like racial profiling is a big example of like um applied to african-american people is this idea of like criminalization so the fact that a black veteran came up to um his great uncle and just simply tried to say thanks for serving our country the fact that his great uncle saw a black person automatically thought oh he's gonna steal something from me is like absolutely disgusting for one thing but I also think it's a very good example of how prevalent this stereotype of criminalization is because it's so prevalent in today's day and age like think of Trayvon Martin he was just walking down the street and someone just assumed he was like doing something he shouldn't and felt the need to kill him you know which is absolutely like absolutely disgusting and it's I feel like seeing this example like very straightforward where his great uncle did say oh he's going to rob me like I feel like it's a very eye-opening story because I feel I've never really been in that situation where I like heard someone ever actually say that you know so like the fact that his uncle felt like it was okay to say was like absolutely like uh when he when I heard that story I was on the phone with him and I was like oof you could hear me I just said damn because the fact that like for one thing that someone could think it is so just like mind-boggling because I think the issue of criminalization has been such a big issue especially recently you know with all the news and the emergence of Black Lives Matter you think that people would become more aware of what they're doing so when you see a black person you think people would be aware if they feel threatened by this black person you think people would be aware of the fact that they're criminalizing criminalizing a person and that they're being wrong but I feel like that's such a wrong like I feel like that assumption that I have in me 
is like too hopeful you know because i don't think we're there yet which is sad but i don't think we're there people are going to become more aware of the hate that they have for minorities quite yet i think that was a topic we talked about a lot in class that i felt was very like eye-opening is that a lot of people hold a hate in them that they might not even be aware of but this is a good example he automatically saw a black person and he thought this black person was going to rob him you know so like this hate that you can hold and not even be aware of is like very eye-opening and especially in relation to criminalization because I think that's a very big issue right now with like police brutality and um hate crimes well hate crimes I feel like are more deliberate but like police brutality people don't realize that they're holding this hate within them until it becomes a situation in which violence is brought into the situation and it ends up in the loss of life or like the attacking of a black person I don't think people realize that they are holding these prejudices but they are so I thought this is a really good example of not only like the prime example of someone holding like this belief of like criminalization of black people but also this like very unconscious hatred that I feel like a lot of people don't hold on to or they don't recognize so I thought this was an interesting event to analyze because it was very much so like there's a lot of things going on there so I thought this one was a very good situation to analyze Now, the final interview before I get to my big story um, was of my dad. I He sent me some audio clips, but the audio is very bad and wouldn't be able to hear it. So I'm just kind of going to summarize up what he said. There are multiple just short stories of times he he's had people just do or say something absolutely like racist and off the wall. So um, he was one of his stories was talking about how in a classroom... He was, I think, a freshman in college, first day of class, he walks in, and one of the teachers says he doesn't like N-words and women in his class, but he, he kind of jokingly says, oh, but it won't affect your grade. Then another story is very similar in which he was working, I think, for a, a campus job, and um, my dad had the responsibility of going through applications because he already worked there and he was um, helping with the hiring process and um, his boss threw on a stack of resumes on his desk and said go through all the resumes and pull out all the people with um, Jewish or black sounding names whatever he meant by that I have no idea and um, pull them out because I don't want them working here so these are just short stories that I collected from him that he said he experienced specifically in college he focused on that now I think this is a really good example especially in contrast with the other interview we just wrapped up on because I feel like in this example it's very much so like very blatant hate towards minorities um, including women in one story um, so I thought these were very interesting stories because, again, it's in an educational institution such as our first interview with Ashley. So I 
think it's interesting to kind of go over the implications of having a teacher that would say such a thing. It reminds me of the video we watched in class in which the teacher said, "It's I believe it was something like, it's people like you that get shot and I might be the one that does it. Like, that video was completely, like, jaw-dropping. It was insane to hear a teacher say that. And to me, I, I was thinking, oh, well, people would never actually say that. And actually, like, I, like, to, I feel like, to me, I have a really pr- big problem with kind of minimalizing situations such as this where I kind of just say, oh, that doesn't happen that often. But I think the fact that it happens at all should be a problem. I feel like that's something we should all focus on, the fact that this is happening at all when it shouldn't. So, in these interviews that my dad gave me is a prime example in, of that these things do happen all the time, especially in educational institutions. People say these terrible things and they have to be addressed. So, I thought this was very important because the professors themselves are blatantly saying that they don't want black students or they don't want black people um, working for them, which is... The fact that they blatantly say it is completely jarring, and I think that as an educational institution, I feel like the institution had a responsibility to do something, and from what he was telling me, they didn't really care. The professors can do and say whatever they want with little repercussion, which I think this was also in, I believe, the late 80s, early 90s, so I want to tell myself that this wouldn't be able to happen today, but as the video that we watched in class, these incidences still happen to this day. Teachers do say these racist things to students. Um, Thankfully, or hopefully, I believe the video, I believe the teacher might get get fired for it, but I also think he was on paid leave, which is the fact that he's getting paid at all because he said these racist things is absolutely insane but I hope at the end of the day something happens to this teacher like he gets fired or something because well I think I hope he gets fired because that's what needs to happen but in comparison to these stories that my dad told me these teachers or teacher and one employee nothing ever came to them like they were completely fine they got away scot-free and again to go into what we talked about in Ashley's interview that these educational institutions make it very easy for people to say whatever they want because it's very white dominated and his school his school is very white dominated um and it's also very based off of white supremacy so everything is there to aid white students while also not even ignoring black students and minority students but hating on them as well so i feel like this environment in this educational institution was failing its minority students by allowing this to happen and I think the fact that the teacher felt like it was necessary to say in the first place completely boggles my mind because obviously he has female students and he has minority students in his classroom so why for one thing the fact that he even holds these racist ideas and like beliefs are completely is completely ridiculous but the fact that he also said it as well is crazy to me because I think we all know that we can't just say whatever we want which I feel we're personally it's I don't 
I wouldn't say that in the first place because I would never even think that. Like, the fact that you, one, for one thing, think it, and two, actually say it is, like, mind-boggling. But, um, it reminds me of, um, Claudia Rankin's book of poetry, um, I'm blanking on the name, Citizen and American Lyric, when, um, one of the themes throughout is her questioning people, saying, she asks them, what did you say? You know, kind of as, like, what did you say? Like, did you really just say that? And I think that's, like, a theme here that we can see as well, that, like, these, this professor and employer both, like, saying something that you find completely jarring. You're just like, what did you just say? You know, because you would never expect anyone to ever say that, for one thing. And also just, like, the racism and hate behind it is so shocking that, it kind of leaves you like stunned for a minute you know like what you know essentially so I thought that was like like Rankin's piece was very helpful in analyzing this and um interview and kind of putting words to what I was thinking so I feel like this is a hard thing to analyze because I'm kind of just like again like Rankin says what did you just say I you know because you're so stunned that someone would ever say this but I think again we have to take in account that these are said all the time and especially in academic institutions such as my dad's college he went to it's very much so perpetuated and allowed so you have to address it you have to realize that it is allowed because there's no way to create change and try to change educational institutions if you don't address the hate that's already there. So this, I don't even know how to begin proposing how the school fix it, fixes itself. This was again like 20 something years ago. So I'm hoping that the school has changed, but it's disgusting to see that these students who had this class had to be surrounded by this hate And I'm really hoping that they weren't complicit in it as well, which is very likely. There was probably a lot of people that were complicit in the hate, but I'm hoping there were some students who spoke out and tried to make people aware that you can't just say that and that this hate that you hold isn't acceptable, which again, my dad didn't really go into the repercussions or anything. He just said, oh, these are what my professors and my employers said and they didn't get in trouble for it that's essentially all he told me so I don't know much about the story but I'm really hoping that something was done but I believe nothing was um I'm also hoping that the school and these teachers and employers grew from their mistakes but I guess we can all have hope but we'll never know okay so my next story is a personal story for me that after it happened, I knew I had to include in this project because it left me completely baffled. So, anyway, I joined a new friend group back home, probably around October. So I've known these people for a couple months. We're really close. I hang out with them like every weekend, you know. But um, one of their high school friends who I hadn't met yet because of the friend group, we're gonna.
off at the group and then like kind of avoid him, you know, because he was saying these things that we were kind of pissed off about. So anyway, that happened, and then all of a sudden he started talking about, this is the first time, like the first time you've ever actually met this gay man, he would say, which is like kind of mind-boggling, but he started talking about like the hookups that he's had in the military, which is like, we kind of thought he was just trying to brag, because you know, he's kind of impressed that he's never met us, so whatever, like we don't met this person before but like the fact that anyone anyone would like ever say that like I've never seen anyone or heard anyone say something that racist before in my entire life you know so it was so like mind-boggling so anyway we me and Kyle kind of just like stare at each other and at that point I just kind of like didn't want anything to do with this kid so we were like okay we're gonna find the dude so then we found the dude and then we left and yeah it was that was She was telling me more about, like, the background of Anth- um, Trevor. I almost said his real name, sorry. We were, she was telling me uh, the background of him and, like, where he grew up and stuff. Because I told her this and she was, like, really confused as well. Because she knows for a fact that he's African-American. So, like, the fact that he's saying these things about black, like, black women, black culture. Like, saying the N-word and not, like, in a very hateful way. Like, in a racist way. It wasn't, like how African-American people say it as kind of like camaraderie and like brotherhood. It was more like, it was racist. It was not in that way at all. So I was talking to her about that. And um, she explained to me more about his background, which she wasn't trying to justify it at all, but I think it really helps in understanding the situation more. So um, Trevor was adopted at the age of four because his birth mother, who's African-American, um, tried selling him and his brother. It, it's very gruesome. Like, it's a very dark story. But she tried selling him and his brother into sex slavery for drugs. So, which is completely terrible. He had a very, very terrible childhood. He was adopted into a family. And his adoptive parents were white. So he grew up, essentially, in a white family. But, um... And his adoptive parents, from my understanding, weren't as good to him either as they could have been. So this kid grew up, he he had a very traumatic experience as a kid, and then to grow up in an environment that wasn't very loving as well. I could understand why I'd make someone a little messed up, but we were also talking about how before the military, he'd never said anything like this. Like, he had been completely normal. Like, not normal, but like, he wasn't, he'd never say, he'd never said anything like this. Like, Ashley had known him since she moved to Lapeer in, like, the eighth grade. You know, she'd known him for, like, years and years, like, six years, essentially. 
So the fact that we were telling, because she hadn't heard any of this stuff, the fact that we were telling her all this stuff was like mind-boggling to her. So her hypothesis was kind of like the military was creating an environment in which he thought this was okay and he was around this racism a lot, so he thought it was normal. So that's kind of just the summary of the situation and what had happened. Oh, I forgot that there was more. Um, we were we had a group chat for everyone, so we could kind of all hang out, like pick times to hang out together. So while um, Trevor was in town, so he he was in it. Me and Ashley, a couple other people were in it. And one night, we were talking about I don't even know, like feminism and stuff. And Trevor kind of went off on feminism and was very misogynistic and disgusting like it was to the point where Ashley just made a new group chat without him because she was like she needed to rant and he was in the group chat he was making fun of me for being white which I thought was very I was confused by that since he identifies as white since if you he doesn't identify as black at all he'll openly say he doesn't think he's black so like the fact that he identifies as white but then He's also going to sit here and, like, say terrible things about white people as well. I don't know. It's a very confusing situation. But anyway, yeah, he was just being misogynistic and anti-feminist in that group chat as well. So at that point, we were kind of just done with him and we didn't hang out with him for the rest of the time he was gone. And he went back to Texas and we still really haven't communicated with him. So, but now I'm going to go into my analysis of this whole situation, but that might take a while. Okay, so now I'm going to try to analyze um, that whole story, but yeah, I'm still very boggled by it. Me and my friends talk about it a lot, and one of my friends actually made the comment, like, she just wants to know what's going on in his head because it's, like, the the whole situation is very surreal. But anyway, um... Yeah, he said a lot of racist, misogynistic, terrible things while he was around. And um, so my, me and Ashley were talking about as to like made possible reasons as to why he all of a sudden thought this was okay to say. Because he apparently never was like this before the military. Um, I think a lot of his hatred me and Ashley were talking about it, and we think that a lot of his hatred came from the fact that his birth mother was terrible and that he was taken away from her and placed in a white family. So we think that there's a lot of hatred towards his mother that he's projecting onto African-American people in general because the comments like he hates black culture even though he's black, I think because he grew up in a white family, he has a hard time identifying with black culture because even though he is black, he doesn't he didn't grow up in a black environment, in a black family, so to him, he doesn't identify or relate, so I think that frustrates him a lot and makes him feel like he's kind of outcasted, so he resorts to being racist and hateful towards black culture, um, which I, not, I can, not that I can understand, but I, like, I feel like it helps me a little bit understand this person, because the hatred that he held, I feel like, I feel like, it's always, you always want to know, like, how did people end up, like, being so hateful, but 
anyway, so also, um, we were talking about how, again, we mentioned this briefly, how the military was, might have had a role in making him think this is okay to say, because we also have another friend who's in the military, and he's not racist, he's not misogynistic, but when he first started going into the military, he would tell us that there were things that people would be saying and doing, especially he, um, he's stationed in the Middle East right now, so there's a lot of people that would be making, like, Middle Eastern jokes and, like, saying racist stuff, and, um, out towards Middle Eastern people, you know, and stereotypes and making a joke out of it and being terrible, and he would tell us all about it, you know, and, like, because they grew up with a friend in the group who was Muslim, you know, so, like, the fact that people where he was stationed were making fun of Muslim people, you know, it made him very uncomfortable because, you know, he has a friend that, you know, he's close with that, you know, they're essentially targeting and making fun of, so he was put in an awkward situation where he was kind of, like, felt really uncomfortable because the environment felt like it was very conducive for this kind of racism and, like, terrible ideas, you know, it kind of perpetuated it and, like, it was very normal for a lot of people to just say whatever they wanted and it was kind of funny, it was all made into a joke, so anyway, um, we had heard from our friend Beecher that at least where he was stationed, the military was very conducive for racism, so anyway, we kind of were talking, and we think that while he was in the military, because he's been gone for two years, we think he's been kind of in an environment that doesn't necessarily discourage racism, and that might actually encourage it, so that might have been why he all of a sudden thinks that it's okay to say all these things, because he's never said them before, and you know, so not to necessarily place blame on the military or anything, we just, when something happens like that, where one of your friends that you meet, or, like, I had just met him, but, like, Ashley and everyone else in the friend group had known him for years, you know, like, all of a sudden, they're just racist, misogynistic assholes, essentially, it's, like, you want to know what happened, like, you want to know, like, how did this all of a sudden occur, so I, like, I felt the same way, you know, I was, like, how did this happen, so we still completely place blame on him, and we acknowledge that, and we're no longer talking to him, but we also wanted to know why, um, I also think it is interesting because we've talked about this several times throughout that um, educational institutions um, tend to foster racism and white supremacy. I think that goes along with any institution in general, like religion um, and the military. The military is a big institution, and I think um, institutions are very much so based on white supremacy and racism. So the fact that he possibly became more comfortable with racism um, because of being in the military, I feel like to me that makes a lot of sense because, again, institutions tend to be just very, like, white supremacist. And um, I mentioned actually what grew up in military bases and she kind of confirmed that not to say that the military is all racist and blah 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 but I think such as like education systems we can agree that they're very 
based off of white supremacy and her growing up in a military base she said yep that fits right in like I completely can see that I grew up in military bases I 100% believe that yeah they are based on white supremacy so the fact that racism is perpetuated and like instigated in the military is not surprising so this is just like a very complicated story and it was very like a surreal moment but I think it's I feel like it is important to go in and analyze why this happened and why people hold the hate that they do you know because it is very important to address the hate because you have to address address like white supremacy and stereotypes and prejudices that society and maybe you even hold because you have to work through them to get eventually into getting through them and going and being not hateful and loving towards um black people so I thought this whole situation was just very like like on a huge scale just crazy and like mind-boggling but I still feel like it's an important thing to analyze and kind of discuss um we also thought it was odd that he felt like it was okay to tell us because we were brand new to him we'd never met him and nothing about us was implying that we thought this is okay on the contrary I said several times like you can't say that or like what are you doing like I addressed it several times like you're being an asshole essentially don't say that and um he still kept on going and saying it so I don't know if maybe the environment he was in the military made him seem like it was funny and he didn't care that we were basically just thinking he was an asshole because he was an asshole you know like I don't know what his logic behind that was but at the end of the day the whole situation is really surreal and I knew I wanted to put it in this podcast because it was like the biggest scale of racism I'd ever really seen you know because I feel like for the most part I've been lucky enough to like not have really seen a ton of racism that's not to say that there wasn't racism in my town or anything but I feel like this was just at a magnitude that was just ginormous you know so yeah it was just an interesting story to say the least and I also wanted to go into me like a little bit about what he said about black females because that was very jarring as well because he was talking he was holding stereotypes we've discussed in class I know I think maybe it was Emily who mentioned it in class one time that black females are seen to be like promiscuous and like stereotyped that way as like being you know like sexual objects essentially and when he was telling us his story um with where he like was hooking up with a black female he was essentially like perpetuating those stereotypes and repeating them which I guess, like, I had never really seen that, like, before where someone had, like, actually, like, believed that stereotype so fully, you know, and actually, like, openly talked about it like that, so that was very, like, jarring, so, yeah, it was just a very interesting situation all around because whatever environment that he was in was very conducive for him to think this was okay, and... It's interesting, I'm wondering if maybe when he gets out of the military, if he will be able to see 
how wrong he was or what because we had made him aware that he was saying things that he shouldn't say several times and he still said them so I don't know if he can grow and learn from this but I'm really hoping at the end of the day that he does kind of realize that he needs to grow and also a big thing that I think um should be addressed is that he grew up like hating like black culture hating black people when he is himself black and I think that has a lot to do with like his mother for one thing but also like um society just telling him that black people aren't valued and that society itself devalues black people and belittles them so I feel like him growing up in a white family it was easier for him to associate as a white person than it was as a black person because he saw, like, he sees, everyone sees how society treats black people, and I think he saw that and thought, I didn't want that for myself, so I'm just gonna choose to be white, because I grew up in a white family, you know, so, uh, like, the, it's sad, it's very sad, I kept on telling Ashley that, that I thought this whole situation was really sad, because he is black, and there's a lot of self-hate there, you know, because he hates black people, and while he is himself black, so it was just, a very complex situation in which I think he was projecting a lot of self-hate onto a whole race so hopefully he can learn and grow from that because I think as we grow we turn like eventually learn to love ourselves so I'm hoping he will eventually learn to love himself and eventually that can spread to loving black people but yeah at the end of the day it's a very weird situation but Hmm. okay so that basically wraps up my podcast I did my three interviews and then my big long story at the end um I felt like this was a very helpful project for me throughout this class because again like I mentioned in the intro like racial storytelling is trying to work through white supremacy in addressing times of racism and critiquing them and going through them and understanding why they happen it's so important and I think with especially the last story I told the Trevor story like it's so important to sit back and analyze why these are happening because get to a place of love and once I feel like you understand racial and racist situations, you can kind of create environments in which those aren't possible, like I mentioned in the Ashley interview, you know? So as a future educator, I think it's really important for me to keep all these stories in mind about how these stereotypes, this, these hate, like hateful stereotypes, these, this hate that people hold towards black people is still like very, very prevalent. This is something I like tend to forget is that it's still very prevalent. I think keeping that in mind as a future educator is very important because it's my job to create an environment in which racism and hate aren't held and that love for black people is taught to my students. That's like one of the things like one of my main goals as a future educator, you know, in um, English education I plan on bringing in a lot of like the books, similar books that we read in class by minority authors, um, movies, videos, TED Talks, you know, stuff like that. I think it's very important to teach love for minorities because they are so, 
advantaged, especially in education. And I think creating an environment in which that's not possible, not necessarily, I don't think I'm going to be able to completely fix the school, but I do hope to make an environment in which my minority students feel as though they are loved like they are, and create an environment in which, I think we call it future educator you know and I feel like it's a very valuable experience an eye-opening experience and I need I really want my students my white students in the future to be aware of that so they can eventually get into the love of like loving on black people like we talked in class because I think that's absolutely important to not only stopping violence towards black people and stereotypes because I don't think we can change the world you know any in a second, but I feel like making people aware of, like, being, like, loving towards black people and minorities are, is very important, (laughs) and I also think it's a very liberating experience as well, you know, letting go of hate, like, holding hate and prejudice is so, like, soul-crushing, you know, so I feel like being able to teach my students to let that go and replace that hate with love instead is so important, so... Again, just to recapitulate, I thought this was a very interesting and useful um, project. I really enjoyed it, actually, you know, like, conducting the interviews. Some of them are crazy. I think it's crazy when you hear some of these stories. But, yeah, I felt like it was really helpful, and I really enjoyed the process. So, thank you for listening, and goodbye.